welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep with Western United Dairies. Hey Darby, how's it going? Happy Friday. Happy Friday, just basking in some sun and clear skies down here, I have to say. So it's pretty nice. I know we're getting a little bit of clear sky this afternoon, going to rain overnight, maybe a tad tomorrow, but it looks like we're headed for some better weather. So spring is springing, I think. (laughs) I know. Hopefully it springs out in Texas and New Mexico for all those folks out there. I know we really want to mention, um, we have a lot of members who have dairies in those states and it's been a really crappy week. We're going to be publishing ways that folks can um, reach out to help those guys in our update this week. And um, in the next week or two, we may have a producer from Texas and New Mexico on. Um, We all feel the pain of having to dump milk or have to interrupt operations because of natural disasters. In California, it's not uncommon, but this is just really, again, that word unprecedented for these guys. Yeah, I agree. Well, kind of to touch on this week's episode, we are going to talk a little bit about our episode from two weeks ago. Maybe you want to explain our situation, Melissa. Yeah. So if you guys will remember two weeks ago, we ran our weekly webinar as part of the episode. It's some really great information about a huge project we did with the California Cattle Council and California Cattlemen's Association. It got super messed up somehow. Like the editing really got messed up. So pieces that we had deleted ended up like in bits and pieces at the front of the recording and sprinkled throughout. And there was just really weird, like awkward pauses. It was bad. It was, I think the word I used was atrocious at the time. I was so embarrassed. So we redid it and we thought we posted it live um, in that episode, but the way the platform works, it doesn't update those episodes. So if you're listening to that um, episode from two weeks ago, you're still hearing the messed up version. So after a long thought process, we're going to reshare that. We are really sorry for the inconvenience. If you feel like you've got the information, we're sorry. Um, next week, we have a really special guest. I think you guys will all be excited about. We're going to re-roll that episode um, or that segment of the episode this week. Um, we had a lot of requests for that. So I think, I think it should make everybody happy. If you have questions, we'd love to entertain them or any more information. But, um, you know, we'll hit the rest of our regularly scheduled programming this week, too, which is, of course, a market update and an update from Rochelle, our fearless leader over at Luchero Unidos de California. And without further ado, we will let Tiffany take it away with a market update. Hi, folks. Hope you had a great week. Well, winter storms grabbed headlines uh, for most of this week as freezing conditions swept through uh, most of the country. Uh, particularly Texas, where snow and ice shut down electricity, gas, and water access for you know millions of residents and uh, livestock. The disruptions led to plant shutdowns and a good amount of milk dumped, though the full extent of the damage um, is still being excess- assessed. Um, still kind of waiting to hear how the cows fared in, uh, in all the weather. We do know that grocery store shelves were pretty well empty across Texas as shoppers brought, bought aggressively ahead of the weather. And then the you know bad road conditions kept retailers from restocking. So big question now is how big is the backfill uh, in demand for dairy products, you know, sort of as the storm is passing now? It sounds like things are thawing out a bit. Um, we are hearing that um, 
some of the plants at least are back up and running, but certainly not all. Um, turning to markets, the spot cheese market slipped further this week as supply continues to run pretty hot while demand is still uh, pretty tepid in, in some uh, segments. Blocks finished the week at 153.75, down, uh, down two cents on the week, and down to the lowest price we've seen since May of 2020. Barrels closed at uh, $1.4125, down seven and three quarter cents for the week. Uh, reports do suggest that consumers headed out during Valentine's uh, weekend, eating out a little bit with contacts um, slightly more optimistic about food service demand. Um, and we're seeing dining restrictions ease a bit across the country. Uh, cold, of course, the cold weather didn't uh, help uh, get people out, out and about, um, but hopefully that will pass here soon. Retail continues to be our, our bright uh, spot with sales still running well over prior year levels. Moving over to butter, uh, butter had a nice bounce this week. We're up 15 and a half cents to $1.55. Um, possibly pushed along by a higher global dairy trade event for butter, um, as well as news as, of a couple uh, Section 32 purchases of butter with product moving over the second quarter. We are also down to about nine days until the calendar flips to March. And uh, that transition to new crop butter, that is only butter produced after uh, December of 2020, can now make its way to Chicago as of uh, the 1st of March. Nonfat, um, we slipped a little back further this week, down two cents, uh, now sub $1.10 down to $1.925. Contact suggests dryers are still running pretty strong. That is outside of the Southwest. There were a few dryers that apparently went down during the storms. Um, we're hearing a little bit of uh, reports of improved demand from international buyers, uh, particularly Mexico, um, but still not being super aggressive on their purchasing. Uh, we do get a couple big reports next week on Tuesday. Both the milk production and cold storage reports drop. Um, that will be data for January. And um, I, I think uh, all expectations are the milk production report will be uh, pretty strong once again. Um, if you are thinking about putting on a little more coverage uh, on milk, milk price coverage, um, maybe give that some thought before the milk production report drops. And also, if you are um, someone that uses the Dairy Revenue Protection Program, the deadline for Q2 coverage is coming up here before too much longer. Uh, that's on March 15th. Please reach out if you have any questions. Have a wonderful week. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. All right. Well, thanks again, Tiffany, for that uh, market update. And now we're going to jump right into the California Cattle Council webinar rerun. Well, excellent. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us. My name is Anya Radabaugh. I'm the CEO of Western United Dairies. I'm really uh, trying to contain my level of excitement for the presentation today. This has been uh, such a big team effort between Western United Dairies and the California Cattle Council. And we're really excited to give you an overview of some of the backdrop that's been going on with respect to this public policymaker survey. Uh, with us today, uh, we have Jason Bryant, who's the lead on our Sacramento Government, Government Affairs for Western United Dairies. We also have Tyler Ribeiro, Cody Nicholson-Stratton, J. 
Jennifer Beretta and Frank Mendonca, all dairy members of the California Cattle Council. Um, and I see we have a lot of Western members joining on the phone. So welcome. Um, I think that in general, uh, I'm going to have, it, is Justin, is Justin uh, Oldfield on the phone yet? Well, I think that um, he was uh, slotted to go next, but uh, so that we don't delay everyone on the phone, uh, we wanna keep the conversation going. And so I think Jason, if you uh, wouldn't mind, I think we can begin the presentation. Very well, good morning. Um, nice to be with you. Uh, is Justin Oldfield on? I wanna um, give Justin a moment before I kick off. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. I. Uh... There are two Justin Oldfields on. Yeah, let me get let me get the other. I'm I'm on. Yeah, it's okay, man. Two is better than one. <laughs> there we go. Sorry about that. I uh, Anya, I think I had the login information for your personal Zoom or your. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. So I think we just we just come to the part where you were going to give a brief uh, presentation about the need for the research, brief introduction to the council. Yeah. Um, so. Thank you very much for uh, for having uh, me on today and providing uh, me the opportunity to, to quickly address the group here. Um, my name is Justin Oldfield, um, executive director of the California Cattle Council. Uh, for those that I have not had the opportunity to meet, which uh, unfortunately, you know, when the council was formed and we got underway, within just a few months later, uh, you know, the state went into a lockdown, and so. That's uh, hurt our ability to get out and I think see people and and um, and visit with people uh, in person. And so hopefully, you know, once COVID's over, we'll have the ability to get back out there and do that because that's very important. So I do appreciate opportunities like this to be able to engage with producers directly. Um, before kind of getting into the presentation, I just wanted to give a quick overview of, of some of my thoughts as to why uh, this was important and, and how it plays into the mission of the council. Um, and I think really this project embodies why the council was formed. The council wasn't formed to promote meat and milk. Uh, we have existing organizations that already do that. Uh, we were formed to help producers with issues they face directly on the farm. And that's what separates us from um, the work that's being done by CMAB and the Beef Council and others. And there's really no better way to do that than ensuring our advocacy efforts in Sacramento are more effective as it relates to policies that impact uh, your bottom line, the bottom line of your colleagues in the beef and, 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 and dairy um, segments of uh, the cattle industry. And the council can't lobby, uh, nor was it formed to compete with our trade associations that already provide that critical service. Uh, but in turn, we see it as our role to work with our partners like Western United to enhance and improve and in, in some cases fortify their government affairs efforts. Uh, really, this is a, a team effort and one that you know, again, the council was it was not was not put in place to establish a new bureaucracy. It was put in place to to take resources um, and and really embolden the work that we're doing here. And and I think really that kind of in short um, encompasses what we're going to be discussing today. Um, you know, before turning that before turning it back over to Anya and Jason, I did want to mention a couple of other things just very briefly that the council is working on. Anya, if that's okay. Totally fine. I'll be I'll be brief, but um, so you know, like I said earlier, you know, we we uh, are doing our 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 part to try to get this information out to producers to make sure that they know what their their investment is going towards, and 
Um, you know, that's been difficult to do with COVID. Uh, so we like to participate in, in events like this, but um, I just want to make sure that people are aware of that, you know, if you don't see the finished product of our work, that doesn't mean that we're not actively and aggressively uh, doing what we were, were formed to do. And um, largely that's because we spend our resources on uh, uh, advocating and, and educating those um, that are meant to hear the message, not producers out there. So um, I, I wanted to mention uh, first, uh, we, we invested a significant amount of resources in October and early November of last year uh, to remind policymakers and California residents about the importance of maintaining our current property tax exemptions and the negative impacts changing property tax laws would have on producers and then ultimately consumers. Um, we, uh, we target policymakers and a series of, 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 of resident categories or Californians based on certain categories. And we were able to, um, to target them um, uh, through social media and, and frequently visited websites uh, that they're on to be able to deliver what I think was a very impactful ad um, talking about, again, the issues that I just mentioned. Um, you know, it was done, uh, it was very timely, done at the uh, mid to end of October, first part of November. Um, you may have not seen these ads, uh, but certainly they were out there, they were delivered and seen by over 20 million Californians. And um, again, you know, we don't take positions on bills or on propositions, but we have a duty and an obligation to be able to uh, inform people as to the policies uh, that the state may entertain and what those impacts will be on, on cattle producers here in California. And so I would just say that, that I think that that project was, was successful. Um, and uh, I think it was, again, another good example of, of why the council was formed and what we can do for, for you directly. Um, one other thing I wanted, well, actually two, but uh, just very briefly, uh, so an issue that's come up um, now and then, uh, and certainly is one that's related to the dairy industry, is this issue about you know, whether or not there's a risk or it's safe to, uh, to dairy or, or, or have you know, feedlot cattle um, next to, uh, to leafy greens or other ready to grow crops. Um, uh, there's been you know, certainly outbreaks that have occurred, not necessarily in California, uh, uh, adjacent to confined animal facilities, but uh, in Arizona in particular, there was a case that brought a lot of public attention um, uh, where there was a, a, a contamination outbreak that occurred um, next to a feedlot. And so uh, that's kind of um, created some challenges, I think, from the perspective of our industry about how we deal with that. Um, and so one of the things that we did not have was really good information that we can stand behind uh, to be able to demonstrate that, you know, pathogens E. coli uh, and the risk that, uh, you know, having a dairy or a feedlot next to a farm uh, that's growing ready to eat crops or leafy grains uh, is really one that is something that, you know, maybe should be uh, regulated further. And so the Cattle Council invested a um, uh, significant amount of resources and is fully funding a study down in the Imperial Valley, um, largely because we have a confluence of feedlots or confined animal facilities and dairies um, adjacent to, uh, to leafy grain fields that are grown down there during the wintertime. And um, we've, we've already seen uh, the product of what I think is to be some good results. And so um, that project is going to come to fruition uh, in the spring uh, once the growing season's over down there. And I think will be a big help to, to as we address this issue and defend um, you know, our industries uh, moving forward. That issue is not one that's gonna go away. And then last, uh, very brief, I wanted to mention that 
one of the other things that's in our strategic plan uh, is to put together what we call a war chest. And I know that it's, you know, certainly always the intent to make sure that we are judiciously and responsibly spending these dollars that producers are giving to us uh, as an investment really to promote the industry and promote you. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's also good to make sure that we have the opportunity uh, to put some money into a bank somewhere so we can respond uh, when the time is needed. And so the Cattle Council has um, that type of fund established and we are aggressively looking to, to ensure that we have uh, funds available to make sure that as an industry we're agile to be able to strike hard and fast when an issue that could significantly impact or disrupt production in the state of California uh, comes comes to, to bear and, and, and we have the ability to respond to that um, you know, quickly and efficiently. Uh, and so that's something that I think from the, the confined animal facility side, calf ranches, feedlots, dairies, something that will be particularly important and beneficial to that segment of the industry, um, given the fact that you know, there are times out there where an issue does come um, to our attention and something that we need to respond to immediately. And so that fund uh, is there uh, and, and is, uh, gives us the, the, the capability to respond. So again, I want to thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to address the crowd, and um, and I'm always happy to take uh, questions, uh, opinions, or you know thoughts from folks. Feel free to give me a call in the office, shoot me an email. Always happy to talk. And Ani, forgive me since I did join a few minutes late. Did did you introduce uh, my board members on the call? Yes, okay. I did. Okay, so I'm going to turn it back over to you then. Thank you very much. Thanks, Justin. I think um, we'll definitely have you on separately uh, so you can go through in a lot more detail all the background the council is, is working on. Um, all right, Jason, I think that uh, the folks on the phone are, are drooling. They're waiting for this fabulous information. So you are up. Uh, thank you. And um, I really want to thank Justin and members of the council um, for entrusting uh, me and my team um, this year or this past year in executing this project. Um, we spent um, the better part of September, October, and November, and then finished the product, uh, the project and the summary here uh, before Christmas. And um, we spent quite a lot of time uh, executing this project and really wanna thank Justin and the, and the council for um, the faith they had in, in us and in, in executing this project and key collaborators um, you know, we didn't do this alone. Um, Billy Gatlin with the Cattlemen's Association, of course, Anya and her team, uh, major contributors um, to the execution of this, um, this survey work, uh, not only just executing it, but structuring the questions and identifying the key issues, knowing that we have uh, a small amount of time uh, when we're surveying people. So really getting down to what are the most important issues to, to discuss. And so couldn't have happened uh, without uh, the collaboration of, of everyone um, in leadership positions. So thank you. It's a great team of people. Um, so what, what was our mission with this project and why did we do it? Um, to us, it was to understand how policymakers view the dairy and, and cattle ranching industries. It was to understand how policymakers view the people who make up the fabric of these two industries. It was also to understand how we should talk to policymakers, what messages resonate, what issues resonate, resonate and how should we, they be framed 
And ultimately it was to provide a blueprint uh, for both uh, the dairy and, and, and cattle ranching industries um, on how we can improve the effectiveness of our advocacy programs. This was our mission in this project. And, and I think it was important that we clearly defined what it exactly is we're trying to achieve. What do we wanna know? And how do we wanna use this data to improve um, our work? So who did we talk to? We talked to a lot of people. We talked to the most notable public policy uh, and respected policymakers in California. Uh, senior staff in the governor's office, key leaders within agencies and departments, even got Mary Nichols to talk to us. Um, of course, in the Assembly and Senate, we targeted key committee chairs and leadership in both houses. We surveyed Democrats and Republicans, progressives, conservatives. Uh, we surveyed independents and moderates. Um, we also spent a lot of time, and if you look at the data here on the top right, we executed 50 one-on-one -on -one interviews with the most um, high-ranking and influential leaders. We also conducted just short of 100 online surveys with legislative staff and committee staff. And so all told, we talked to 150 people in the span of about 60 days. And some of these interviews took a better part of an hour. Um, good, into, and good intelligence coming out of that project. So some of the reactions, just some of the, the feedback we got. Um, our response rate uh, was little over half. And I think that's incredible. Um, a lot of times when you do survey work, response rates 10, 15, 20% are, are good. We had over half the people that we, we asked to participate, affirmatively participate and actually conduct uh, the survey uh, over the phone or via Zoom. It's incredibly high. I think it goes to the credibility of the industries, the credibility of the trade associations and our relationship with many of the people that we talked to. Um, over, of the people that we talked to, I think the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, some of the feedback um, on some of the issues that we uh, entertained was mixed as you would expect. But I think what was important is that people thought that this project and our effort to understand how policymakers view our industry and the issues that affect our industry, they felt really good about the, the just the simple attempt to understanding um, their train of thought and to, and to present issues that are important to us to them. They thought that was impressive that we took the time uh, to invest in this kind of data. Um, coming out of the survey work, there's been there's a there's a number of key recommendations, and I'll go through them with you. Um, and and this is really, um, I think, the consolidation of a lot of data that we took um, that we were able to capture, and a lot of issues that we were able to capture. And we tried to distill this down to some really key takeaways. And there's really three, uh, and this is the first one. And I, I want to start this recommendation with a new notion that I think maybe perhaps we all feel, um, but we weren't really able to put our finger on it until we went through this project. And that's this notion that amongst our industry and certainly and this notion amongst um, elected officials in California and senior policy makers 
uh, in key departments, they're extremely bullish about California's leadership. They feel strongly that California is a leader on so many fronts, particularly a leader on climate change and environmental sustainability. They feel California can do it better uh, and it can be an example to the rest of the nation and perhaps an example to the rest of the world on how it can lead in key areas of policy. And the first recommendation coming out of our work is that the livestock industry, dairy and beef, we need to take the, they take the lead on environmental issues and climate change. Uh, that's the number one issue coming out of the data that we've uh, captured. There's this notion that um, policymakers are extremely enthusiastic about what's unique about California. Um, that means they support California grown dairy and beef products. They support California's leading environmental objectives, including water quality and greenhouse gas reduction. And they're enthusiastic about the state's uh, dairy and beef production outputs as compared to other states and nations. Bottom line is, is that policymakers think we do it best. Um, and although that may perhaps create some challenges for us to meet or achieve those environmental standards um, and sustainability standards that are outlined and helping the state achieve its greenhouse gas reduction goals, those are gonna be challenges, certainly. But when we dug in a little deeper with these policymakers, they are enthusiastic and passionate about making sure that our industries can participate and are successful in those endeavors. It's not that we can achieve these objectives without the industry. It's actually the opposite. It's we must engage and we must have the cooperation and the engagement of these industries as those rules, laws, and policies are playing out. Um, and so we captured a couple of quotes. And when I put a quote up here in this presentation, uh, you can know that this isn't just one or two people saying uh, these points, but this is reflective of the body of, of work that we conducted our research with. This is a broader view, and we happen to capture uh, quotes, uh, and I wanted to highlight a few of them for you. But this is broadly speaking, the feedback we got. Um, um, you can look at them um, here, of course, and, and I, can, I can mention a few. Some of you, I, I assume, are not following along on, on video. So I'll, I'll read a few, uh, but for those that are following along on video, um, obviously you can read through this uh, at your leisure. But um, uh, there's a recognition that we cannot can push production of beef and dairy products out of state. That that, um, that notion of creating standards that are not achievable um, while pushing production out of state and then to only import products back into California for to meet our growing demand for dairy and beef is not gonna help the issue. Uh, there's recognition amongst policymakers that, that we need to understand that and we need to work through um, policies as they're being developed with industry. Um, um, a key statistic that I think we captured out of this work um, uh, was that 74% um, of those that we surveyed um, say it's important or very important uh, for policy and regulations to help preserve both the dairy and beef industries in California. Um, I thought that number was um, impressive. Um, 
Now, certainly when you, when you develop a project like this and you go out and you survey um, policymakers and staff, uh, you, you know, you're looking for their opinion, but they know that you're trying to do the best you can to, be, to better understand the issues and how people perceive them. And so perhaps there's a little bit of uh, extra support and, and maybe they're not as quite as honest as they, uh, they might be. But and so we built that into um, some of the research we've done here. And we know that those numbers could be a little high. So we've calculated that and we factored that in. But certainly 74% of those surveyed, again, key policymakers in, in Sacramento feel it's very important or important for um, the state to preserve these industries in California. It's a pretty impressive number, a number that I think is a little higher than I had uh, anticipated, uh, frankly. Um, when you read statements, and we went through a number of statements with respect to environmental sustainability, um, when we talk about um, um, the US cattle industry uh, as the world's most efficient producing 20% of the world's beef with just 7% of the world's cattle. Uh, and our footprint per pound of beef is less than half of our counterparts in foreign countries. 78% of policymakers in Sacramento view that as a positive statement, something they're very proud of. And that goes to this notion that, that what we do here in California is exceptional. It's unique, it's, it's cutting edge, it's innovative. And there's a profound, I think, feeling that we can do it better. And uh, I think what we found is that um, when we talk about the things that the industry is doing, uh, where it's leading in other in areas of, of sustainability, animal welfare, uh, and leading uh, in production, it's something that that um, the policymakers want to hear, love to hear, and they're proud of. Um, and I think I was a bit surprised to see how positive a reaction um, that we found um, with our policymakers uh, on that point. Um, digging a little deeper on the environmental issues um, and something I think that really stood out to me through this project, by a five to one margin, policymakers believe that these industries are part of the solution. Five to one, again, uh, these are um, appointed, um, Oftentimes they're regulators, key public policymakers, legislators who you know, reflect um, a very blue state um, and reflect um, a very um, blue government, frankly. Um, very positive um, feedback from these folks that believe that these industries are part of the solution. When you talk about, when you dig in a little bit more and talk about specific issues, uh, livestock industry working to reduce greenhouse gas um, without even talking about what we're doing out of the gate policymakers almost 60 percent agree that we're that we're working to reduce GHG emissions there's a great awareness about some of the work that we're doing um, only 14 percent would disagree with that uh, of course the remaining figure is is either undecided or not sure uh, which is reasonable but a very strong number already agree um, cattle ranchers and dairy farmers lead the nation's sustainability to protect water and air quality. Same number, high 50s. Disagree, below 10. Uh, cattle ranchers and dairy farmers are strong conservationists committed to environmental stewardship. Again, just shy of 60% disagree 17. Strong margins and consistent across the board on environmental issues. So clearly the work that we're doing 
to ensure that the industry is the most sustainable, um, is the most um, cognizant and, and aggressive in working to reduce GHG emissions. The work that we've done is having an impact on opinion in the capital. There's no question about it. You'll see here some quotes. I won't read them, read through them just given time, but you'll see quotes sprinkled through this, uh, this proposal that, that are coming directly from policymakers uh, that we have surveyed. And, and when I put a quote up here, it's reflective of an overwhelming number of people that we've talked to. <clears throat> so the challenge I think for us is, is understanding um, what do they expect? You know, they, they agree that the industry must be preserved. They agree that the industry, largely agreed the industry is doing its part on sustainability, GHG, water quality, air quality. Um, so, so what's next? Um, and the answer is, you know, the policymakers want more than just what we're doing now. They want the industry to help lead on these issues. I think they really want us to wrap our arms around some of these issues and, part, and, and engage more deliberately in crafting what policies are ultimately implemented. So it's not just that we're doing it, we need to begin to actively talk about it on a daily basis. Not shy away from some of these issues, but really stand up and be heard and demand that the policies that are being shaped actually do what they should do, which is ensure the state is achieving its environmental objectives but to also ensure that the industries, both dairy and beef, um, can sustain themselves as um, as this as the state's largest agriculture commodities collectively. That's our challenge: is to make sure that we're doing that. I'll take a, a, a breath there, um, about a third of the way through, and I'm happy happy to answer questions or or take comment or allow folks to, uh, to inquire. In this survey, how many people were surveyed? Um, what was your total population being surveyed? I guess you should say, ask it that way. Yeah, it's 150 total. 50 of them were done via phone and those were done with just key policymakers. So when I say key policymaker, what does that mean? That means you're elected to the assembly, you're elected to the Senate, or you're appointed by the governor to be a department head, or you're in a senior level cabinet position in the governor's office, or you work for EPA, resources, CDFA, uh, or CalRecycle, um, and you're in a key leadership position. We were able to speak to those people one-on-one -on -one over about a 30 to 40 minute period, as well as assembly members and senators. The 100, the remaining 100, that equals the 150, those were done online and the, the questions all matched, but uh, to expedite the survey and to, and to expand our reach, we did that portion with more junior level staff, people who work in the Capitol uh, in ju more junior level positions. Um, and so that, that, that totaled 150. So now that's the total population or that's the population that actually responded? Yeah, our, our survey uh, feedback was about 50%. So our goal was 50. Um, that's realistically what we thought we could get 
in uh, about a three month period. And um, it's a tremendous amount of effort to, to, to facilitate those calls. Um, we were shooting for that 50, we got to 50 and we were shooting for a hundred and we just, we just got a little shy of a hundred on the online survey, but um, we asked about 300 people to participate. So we didn't ask everyone. We didn't necessarily want to spend a half hour with one-on-one um, -on -one with perhaps a junior level staff person. We wanted to spend that time with a executive level um, policymaker. And so we really targeted our audience. Another question now, when follow or when selecting which policymakers you chose to interview, uh, random selection, or was there some sort of matrix put into place to make that deciding factor? Yeah, it was very deliberate. It was key leaders within regulatory agencies that we have to work with on a weekly basis. So CDFA, EPA, um, Fish and Wildlife, Resources Staff, the Governor's Office, Legislative Deputies Cabinet level, uh, key committee chairs in the Assembly and Senate, leadership, um, both sides of the aisle, uh, and frankly, policymakers who are legislators who Good ringtone. Ah, uh, sorry guys, I'm trying to keep that moving. Is that, and that's Kickstart My Heart by. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to kick that person out. I know that one. I know that one. Kickstart My Heart. It's a good one. Uh, <laughs> much worse. <laughs> well, that'll be so, fun for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I think it could be way worse. That was that was fine. That was like totally PG. That's all good. Um, so it was very deliberate in who we looked at, um, knowing that we didn't have time to survey everybody in town, and we don't want the opinion of everybody in town. We want you know, the direction and the opinion of people who are making decisions. So decision level, you know, decision maker, executive level, regulators and legislators. The reason I ask these questions is it's astonishing. You have this high percentage that feels we're doing a good job at reducing greenhouse gases, so on and so forth. Yet we've been, or at least I've been hearing that funding for these projects that help dairy farmers and cattle ranchers reduce greenhouse gases are being cut quite a bit. And so it's like, okay, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I mean, if you want all this policy and, and you want all these regulations and you want us to reduce our environmental footprint, you also kind of need to contribute with solving the problem, but reducing the funding for it, that's not the answer. So it's yep. a little bit mind boggling for me. Yeah, and that, that is a message that's well well received. Um, I think I said that very thing yesterday <laughs> to a staff member in the governor's office. Um, we can't implement SB 1383 um, unless there's incentive money to ensure that the industry can implement those technologies on a consistent basis to meet the objective. 
So not only do we need to know what the objective is and where we stand with respect to our greenhouse gas reductions vis-a-vis -vis methane, we got to know how CARB is going to implement SB 1383. And we need to know how the governor's office and the state budget and Department of Finance is going to provide the money necessary for us to install the technology that we need to meet the goal. So it's definitely a puzzle to make all those pieces fit. And, um, you know, can't have your cake and eat it too. And um, if you want to be the leader in the world on sustainability, you've got to help industry make it happen. And um, your comments are well taken. Jason, I do have one your question. Time. Sir. Sorry, Justin. Um, you had mentioned that we as an industry need to lead more effectively and help create these policies or at least have a bigger hand in it. We've got a lot of organizations that are trying to do just that, that are decently well-funded. In your professional opinion, what has to change? What has to happen to make us more effective so that we can be a part of that conversation and have the front seat instead of being pushed to the back and then having to fight our way back to the front again? Everything we seem to do seems to be retroactive. So in your opinion, how do we stop that cycle? There's I'll a, take that, Tyler. There's a oh, lot. go ahead. Well, I could unpack that question and spend quite a lot of time on that with you. Um, but I'll let Anya jump in here. But I, but I think what, what has been unique about Western is that it's decided that it's going to develop relationships with the people who are actually making these decisions and build some level of trust so that not only is there a seat at the table, uh, but there's a willingness to partner with the industry, with people at the highest level of government to ensure that as these policies are developed, they're shaped in a way that not only has our input, but it has our fingerprints on them because they're going to happen anyway. And so you might as well get in there and shape them the way you want to ensure that the outcomes you're looking for happen. And I think that's the difference between us and perhaps others or anybody else in Sacramento who's doing um, this work through associations, doesn't matter if it's ag or otherwise, is deciding and make a, a conscious decision to establish not, a, not just a relationship, but a willingness for each party to trust one another that as they tackle these issues, that we're part of the fabric of those policies. And I, and I, I don't even want to say we need to have a seat at the table. Yeah, okay, 10 years ago, we should have a seat at the table. Of course, having a seat at the table is just a bare minimum. No, we want to craft these policies in real time. And I think that's that's how you do it is you, is you build a level of trust with the people who are holding gavels over there, not just working with people who are on the periphery, uh, but working with people who hold gavels, who are chairs, who are decision makers, and who you know, are in key levels of government in this, in this governor's administration. And those are the people we talk to, by the way. So I, I think that's what you can do as, an, as a leader in the cattle council and a leader in Western is to continue to demand from the association that we 
remain close, if not closer, uh, to those uh, levels of government uh, that we've established those relationships with. Thanks, Jason. I and Tyler, I, I love um, I love how your question contains a level of skepticism about representation in it. And I think that effective trade groups do that. They should be presenting vastly different tactical approaches to you all the time um, in order to meet the challenges of the changing landscape. And coming at you with a lot of the same information over and over again, um, that's not a that's not efficiency in my in my point of view. So I'm I think that learning how to speak to policymakers, which is what this this entire uh, study was about, so that we can communicate shared values, is what brings us that level of closeness that they're missing so much from from the dairy industry in the past. Because you're going to find out uh, they really like you, so they like your products, and I'm going to run with that. We just have to learn how to communicate our messages in a language that um, they will appreciate and respect. Anya, the, uh, listening to the responses, I agree with them. The only thing that I would like to see is if with having a seat at the table, if we can get them to understand that things need to be realistic at the same time. Some of the objectives that they throw at us are so unrealistic or not practical that it's like, how in the hell are you going to get this done? You know, they, they, get, they need to get their heads out of the clouds and, and get back on ground and walk in the, the field or the crow with us where they can see that, okay, maybe some of their their demands or, or what they want, it's just not practical or it may not get done in the time in which they're looking for. I have a lot of sympathy for that point of view. And I, I know there's a lot of folks on the call. We want to make sure Jason has enough time to do the presentation. But to synthesize that, there's been 30 years of the boy who cried wolf. And I'm just going to use ag and dairy as kind of that, that victimization mentality when the reality is California is hard on all businesses. And so um, I think that that's what we're working to craft. Um, I, I know a lot of dairies have not had the same runway with time that I'm asking you to have here, but um, there, there is a bit of a tipping point and you're gonna see that in a, in a few more slides ahead of us that, that they are thinking about that. Um, and uh, we, we have to be careful that we filter out so much of the far extremes of the conversation and center ourselves around compromise. And so I know that particularly in the field, in the valley, um, we tend to hear the extremer part of the conversations, but that's what this exercise has really shown us is that there are, uh, I don't wanna use the word normal, um, there are practical people in the capital waiting to do business with us as long as they can meet us in the middle. Um, so I, I have some hope that, and this, this survey actually gave me a lot more hope than I had last July, August, um, that there was, you know, talking about methane in, in particular, um, we, we really have to be careful that we're not regulated for that. I think we're ready to keep going, Jason. Thank you for that. Um, appreciate the questions very much. Uh, recommendation number two, um, 
what we heard back from a lot of respondents was pretty clear to us. They really don't know what the working conditions are on on-farm. Uh, they don't know what the animal welfare issues are. They don't know what we're doing to protect um, our workforce. There's a lot of misinformation that exists amongst policymakers with what goes on on a farm. Um, the good news is, is they've got a pretty good idea out of the gate. It's relatively positive, but once peppered with a little bit more detail, it kind of falls apart. So one of the recommendations we have is, is um, additional information on working conditions is necessary. And we need to embrace opportunities to talk about the good jobs that we offer on farm and the work that we're doing, particularly in the area of technology and innovation that's improving animal welfare issues on farm. Oh, pardon me. So out of the gate, there's a very strong belief that jobs on dairy farms and ranches are high quality agriculture jobs. Uh, I don't know how they know that or feel that, but they do. Um, out of the gate, it's really strong. But there's really a huge lack of information and detail on this, on this topic. Um, and the combination of the big knowledge gap and the positive predisposition of economic impact and workforce issues means there's really a huge opportunity to create a lasting impression with policymakers on workforce issues. They think you're doing a good job. They don't exactly know why, but they want to learn more. And they're very proud, I think, of what um, the industry is able to offer by way of economic um, uh, activity and, and jobs. And so the data supports us initiating an advocacy and education program emphasizing the industry's high quality jobs and workforce. And this is where we perhaps could partner with our employees and even partner with the folks who are driving trucks in our industry, moving, moving milk off the farm to processors. We've worked with organized labor in the capital to our advantage numerous times in the past. Um, where we are aligned on policy, those relationships have paid off significantly. I think one of the key examples is that and, and Justin, if you're still on the phone listening in, Justin and I worked hand in hand um, with organized labor to help us pass the legislation to establish the cattle council in the first place. Um, that partnership was critical in getting that legislation passed. And it's worked in other areas significantly for us. Um, and there's huge opportunity to talk about our relationship to our employees, our relationship to organized labor perhaps, and what kind of jobs we're creating, and even some of the housing that's being provided uh, to our workers, which is oftentimes multi-generational. Those are things that we aren't talking about yet, but we need to, because policymakers think we're doing a good job right now, but they're not sure why. And it's, it's up to us to initiate an advocacy program to make sure that they see it. So that's the, the one of the second uh, major um, recommendations coming out of the survey data. Um, when you look at some questions, this in this slide, um, when you talk, when you when you make a few statements about uh, the industry, uh, positive reaction is is really strong. Um, the thousands of workers in the 
cattle and dairy industries enjoy some of the highest wages and job satisfaction rates in California's agriculture sector. 73% positive reaction to that. That's a very strong number. And, um, and we need to start talking more about that and what that looks like. Animal welfare. Um, there's concerns, um, certainly, about animal welfare issues. But mostly it's not concerns, but there's misconceptions. Uh, we found that misconceptions um, are very common, but those misconceptions aren't significantly impacting purchasing behavior. Uh, and perhaps those misconceptions aren't necessarily impacting policymaking yet. And this is where I think um, one of the largest concerns that I, I see coming out of this work is in the animal welfare um, area. Um, we know that based on this data and based on some of the survey work and conversations we had, that certainly animal rights organizations have had a very loud megaphone. And they've able to, to some degree, been able to define the animal welfare issue on their terms. And I think they've done that largely in a vacuum. Um, what we found in this survey data um, is that good information about what is going on on farms today, uh, alongside the right third-party verifiers, those could be uh, academic research institutions like our UCs and CSUs. It could be veterinary uh, expertise. Um, it could be other sources of good scientific data. We can answer the claims that are made about animal welfare issues by the animal rights community um, because they will trust those sources more than the sources they're trusting today. And I don't think that we're, we're necessarily losing on the animal welfare debate. I just think that there are a number of organizations who have focused on this issue and have a very loud megaphone and the wrong data and are perhaps working in a bit of a vacuum. And what we're finding here is that this is an area of priority for our advocacy work and it has to be. Um, we need to create space for us to tell our story uh, and to ensure that policymakers understand what's going on. It's not changing um, purchasing behavior based on the survey data that we've looked at with the people we're looking at it, um, but, but we think it could. Um, so how would you describe conditions for cattle on dairy farms? 47 good, excellent. Cattle, 46 good, excellent. Dairy farms, 10 poor, very, for, very poor. 16 poor, very poor for cattle. So the spread is relatively high, but I'd sure like to see those numbers in the 60s. I think that's our challenge and that's our mission. <clears throat> I think the opportunity for advocacy is to target, you know, the 40% of the people who have no opinion. You'll notice that those numbers you know, on dairy uh, add up to about 57%. So there's 40% of the people who just weren't really prepared to answer this question, who didn't know enough, needed more information, weren't sure. That's a huge chunk. So I'm not so much concerned about working on the 10%, although I'll, I'll knock on everybody's door. 
it's the 40% of people there who just really don't know. We're not ready to answer that question. That's an, a problem, but a huge opportunity at the same time. We found in this survey data, there's really a perception of two industries that exists amongst policymakers. And, and I'm not gonna suggest this is true. Um, we, we all know um, what the industry looks like, no matter if you're from the North Coast or uh, if you're in Southern California or anywhere in between. But the capital thinks there's really two industries. And we need to know this so that we can understand what traps exist and how we need to manage our advocacy given this perception as we work on changing minds and we work on um, creating a better understanding of our business models. There really is this, this notion, there's concerns that I think are focused on um, large or industrial um, operations where animals are perceived to be confined or not allowed to freely graze or roam as they should. Uh, you know, conversely, smaller operations where cows are pasture raised or grass fed have a very positive perception amongst those surveys. We found that those opinions varied based on where the dairy and ranch was located. Uh, generally very favorable for those Sonoma County dairy model versus some of the perceptions and conditions in a dairy located perhaps in the Central Valley. So where you were often uh, drew people to a conclusion about what your operation looked like and how those animals on that operation perhaps were treated. This was without any real data. We, we just sort of surveyed this, these issues and this is what we found. Uh, through this work, oftentimes we found there's a focus on corporate versus family, corporate owned versus family owned. Um, but in this case, the evidence suggests the important factor is, are you big or are you small? So we had, we had thought maybe going in that there was this notion that there's corporate agriculture or corporate dairy, and then there's family dairy. And I think what we found is that it's big versus small, industrial uh, versus mom and pop or smaller scale. And in the industrial side, perhaps the conditions are not ideal. And on the smaller side, it's more of what people perceive pasture, pasture raised or happy cows come from California, whatever notion you wanna insert there. That's the image that, that people um, 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 came to when we surveyed um, what the industry looks like on a statewide basis. So when we communicate to our audience, we need to recognize those distinctions and understand those perceptions and work to change some of those minds and change some of those perceptions. Um, but knowing where they are and, and how we're perceived will certainly help us as we are moving ahead on advocacy. So when we're going into an office um, and we know their perception of dairy isn't accurate, uh, we, need to, we need to customize our message so that we're ensuring that we're not falling into a trap that exists that we didn't see uh, before this data um, came available to us. And we also need to know how to, how to better change the perception of, of, of dairy, depending on its region, depending on its size, and, and help people understand um, that corporate and large really don't fit in California dairy operations. So 
one of the main takeaways is that we have found that there's a serious lack of information uh, about how the industries are increasing it, our production. The use of technology and innovation are very attractive issues that should be a part of our advocacy. But based on consistent survey responses, people believe that a variety of conditions exist that are simply untrue or, un or irrelevant. Um, so these are the, some of the comments we found in, in the research. Um, some of these uninformed perceptions are common and, and our respondents were really honest about their lack of information. And sometimes they joked about it. Um, and we got a lot of responses like the ones on the sheet, which is, are we eating more weird parts of the cow? Are we making fatter cows? Are we using artificial means to reach this outcome? Um, how much hormones are we using to increase our production? And so when we talk about how we're increasing production and thus we need fewer cows in California, perhaps to meet our production needs to fulfill um, market demands. I think out of the gate, we think that's a fantastic thing to talk about. We are increasing productivity. That's fantastic. We're maybe more efficient. We're doing more with less. Um, that's not really how it's perceived. Um, how are you doing that? Yeah, you know, are, we, are we just simply doing that at the expense of animals that we're caring for? Is there an animal welfare component to doing this that is negative? That is what we found is that when you talk about production increases and efficiencies and doing more with less, policymakers believe that there's a strong price to pay on the other end of that. And so our advocacy and education programs have to understand those misconceptions and we have to bring facts to the table to explain how we're doing that. We also need to bring third party verifiers like the UC Cooperative Extension um, and other resources to help us ensure that our message about how we're achieving those efficiencies are being done embracing technology and they don't come at the cost of animal welfare. In fact, they may enhance the condition um, and the environment for our animals. Um, but I thought it was very interesting and very helpful to know that we can't just talk about we're doing more with less. Um, there's more to it than that. Just to do a time check, uh, it's 12 o'clock, Jason. I know you have some other stuff this afternoon, so just want to give you that update. This is a uh, last few sides. Um, recommendation number three of three. Um, who's best equipped to tell our story? We know that there's a lot of traffic when it comes to any policy, particularly in agriculture, um, in the Capitol, in, in key regulatory agencies and in the governor's office. So how do we break through and how do we ensure that people are taking our messages uh, sincerely and embracing what we're saying? So we. We wanted to know who is trusted and who are the people that are the best people to deliver a policy message or an advocacy message. Um, and what we found is that 
everybody we surveyed, just about everybody that we surveyed, wants to learn more, wants to understand the industry, hasn't been to a dairy farm in years, if ever, and they have a strong desire to understand, uh, really to Justin's point from earlier, how do we make this work? How do we get their heads out of the sky and bring them back down to earth and show them if you want to achieve fill in the blank um, environmental objective, this is how it would have to be done here on the farm. And until we can do this, what you're suggesting isn't necessarily possible, but done this way, it can. And what we found is that policymakers have a real strong lack. There's a, a huge lack of understanding on how operations really work on farm, but there's a huge interest and willingness to understand it. Um, and that's a huge challenge for us. But if you look at who they trust, um, it's, pretty, it's pretty astonishing. Um, trusted messenger. Higher education and individual operators are highly trusted as and seen as unbiased. So if I had Justin and I also brought somebody from UC Davis and we did a tour of, um, of, your, of your farm and we talked about any issue, let's say GHG reductions or water quality. And we talked about what you're doing to advance in those areas. That's the most trusted combination uh, that we could find. In fact, higher education comes in uh, at 99%. Individual operators at 94%. Government agencies at 87%. Cattle industry groups, still pretty high, 79. Lobbyists are not as good as individual operators. That's a good thing. Conservation groups are below individual operators. Labor is below conservation groups and animal welfare organizations are at the bottom of the list of the folks that we surveyed. So if you can combine individual operators and you can bring out CDFA or EPA, and you can bring out the UC or the CSU and talk about a priority for you um, that's tied to an environmental issue or animal welfare issue, whatever the issue needs to be, that is a bulletproof um, deliverable. And policymakers told us they want that and they desperately need it. So you're credible, you're well liked. Um, people want you to be a part of the solution. They want you to embrace the issues, particularly environmental issues, welfare issues, workforce issues, and they want to learn more. So here's some of the quotes we got about what I just said. People in cities don't know how much these workers care about their animals. People respect people who do this for work for a living. It's important for them to speak out honestly about what they, uh, why they do this work. I'm eager to learn and would welcome engagement and opportunity to visit ranches and dairies. Um, I visited one and the gentleman was very passionate about animal welfare. It really made sense from an ethical and economic perspective. These are not just you know, five quotes I, I grabbed. This is a common theme. These are just happened to be five that we grabbed for this slide. Um, and, and these are not 
you know, junior level staff sitting in a cubicle in the Capitol. These are senior level uh, elect, elected or appointed or long, long, long standing executive leaders in agencies and departments that we work with. Uh, many of these people are very progressive Democrats. Um, a little bit more data to underscore the message here. It really is about partnership, if you ask them. Um, we need the industry to get there and identify common challenges, goals, and come up with solutions together. 83% say it's important or very important to engage in your industries when making policy decisions. 83. That's a very strong number. So moving forward, what are we going to do with this data? Number one priorities, promote interactions between policymakers and individual ranchers and milieu farmers. We have to identify the top policy issues um, that we're working on, and we have to uh, embrace those issues and bring policymakers um, to a dairy to describe how this policy will be implemented and to help them shape policy to make sure it works for both their purposes and most importantly, ours. We have to focus our advocacy on industry advancements that are helping California meet its goals. We have to talk about the advances in technology and innovation that have helped us become a worldwide leader in methane reduction today. We're already doing it. We need to talk about what we've done, how we started, what's left, and how we're gonna complete it. And we need to make sure that the policymakers are hearing it on our terms, how we're going to do it. Because if we don't talk about how we're going to do it, they're going to implement uh, the remaining aspects of 1383 the way they want to do it, which, 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 which may not be synonymous with success in the dairy farm. We have to talk about how grazing is a critical function and that cattle ranchers are key partners in the state's ability to manage open space and habitat preservation. You cannot preserve the state's natural resources without embracing and partnering with the livestock industry. Um, ranchers graze 30% of the state's lands or, or manage 30% of the state's lands and you cannot protect habitat, open space and conserve those resources without partnering directly with ranchers. You can't, there's the math does not exist. And, the, and a huge opportunity for us, maybe one that we didn't see going in, but the conditions for both workers and livestock on farm, uh, there is huge opportunity there. Uh, there's a massive lack of information. Uh, there's misinformation, particularly around um, welfare conditions uh, for our animals. And there's huge opportunity to grow in that space. Uh, so those are the three recommendations that came out of this work. Um, and I'm happy to pause there and, um, and answer questions uh, from the group. At this time, I think we'll probably also open it up to our panelists to participate and chime in with their thoughts. I know there's some thoughts in the chat. We'd love to hear them. 
Well, I think we'll start with Tyler first. Uh, Tyler, what are some of your key takeaways of what uh, Jason just presented? And you obviously have some really strong thoughts uh, and are passionate for the industry moving forward. So I'd love to hear from your point of view as a dairyman, uh, speaking to other dairymen and other uh, dairy folks on the phone, what you think we should do. Well, yeah, you got me all fired up now. Um, thanks a lot, Jason. Um, <laughs> no, it's really exciting because we now have a, a, a blueprint, a plan of what we need to do. Um, as an industry, we've always been terrible at communication. And now we know exactly what we need to do with who we need to do it and how to move forward. All the pieces are there to this puzzle. We just have to make that step and don't stop. We have to be relentless. Um, I don't like losing and I feel we're behind in the pack. And this is, this is a shortcut to the front. Um, I, Jason, I love the way that you presented this. And some of the stuff that I've seen, it, it shows that education is key. It shows that those that have more education about the field that we're talking about seems to have a, uh, a better view of what we're doing. The more people that know about dairy, they have a better view of what we're doing. If you, if in relation to beef, beef, beef guys, they've, they've done a good job through their checkoffs. They really have. Um, but I feel just being unbiased, dairy's done a lot more for a lot longer in that field. And I think it shows um, for, for whatever reason, beef is trailing behind dairy. And I don't think that should be the point. I, th I think dairy and beef like you said, are together. I mean, we're so much together, it doesn't make sense that it's split and we need to work to fuse that gap. And that isn't possible until we start implementing this plan that you have set together, which I absolutely love. But we have to talk together. If we're on a dairy, we need to have a beef guy with us. If we're, if we're on a beef ranch, we need to have a dairyman with them. Um, we, can't, we can't have this divide we already have a divide in the dairy industry and now we've done it in the beef and dairy industry. Uh, we have to start closing those gaps and making this one again. Um, but yeah, this, the, the whole thing that, that you put together, um, very well done, very well done, Jason. Um, I, I love, it. I'm all fired up now. So Anya, I'm waiting for instructions. We're all waiting. Um, we all, we all want to know what, to do next. I, I, I love it. I, um, this has been such a, it, it really has occupied Jason's time. I can't say thank you. Jason has had so much patience with, with me, um, with, with our basically members of the legislature in, in Sacramento to get this done because he believed in the vision. And um, I admit that the initial phases of the project were really arduous. We were arguing over what color the sky was just to make sure the questions were right. But the work product that's come out of it is it is absolutely the blueprint for our survival. And I am, but the first step was putting it in front of you guys, acknowledging the work that the cattle council provided and, and the, the support that they provided. Um, and I, I just, it's, it's really nice to be able to focus on this. Um, so thank you for your comments. I'm going to ask uh, Cody, and I think Jen, you would be, Jennifer Barretta would be next. Uh, Cody, why don't you give us some of your thoughts as a member of the Cattle Council? Yeah, well, first, um, just jumping off Tyler's here, I think that uh, maybe part of that situation is that 
dairy is a lot easier to find in many cases than our beef counterparts. Um, as someone with a foot in both worlds, it's pretty easy to find my dairy. My cow-calf pears, not so easy to track down. So I feel like we've maybe had to face a little more from the get-go just because we're easier to find. Um, you know, looking at both Jason's study here, as well as the consumer-facing study that the Cattle Council did, I feel like one of the key takeaways that I get is in a lot of cases, agriculture has been agriculture's problem. Um, we get pretty entrenched in this idea that everyone needs us, they're going to like us, and you know what, we're just going to move forward because they don't have a choice and they're going to have to meet us at the table. That's not played real well for us. Um, that has actually played pretty terribly for us as an industry and especially here in California. And I think, you know, what we're finding is not only do we need a place at the table, but we need to get everyone at the table to listen to us. And what I really took as a key takeaway in both those studies is that credibility is key. Um, you know, credibility is king. And I found in my own situations that yes, people respect farmers, but they really like to see something from academia or from a government body. And so we need to be able to back up our claims and we need to have it be someone that a regulator or a consumer can trust. Um, and so working with, you know, UC, working with PhDs, working with, you know, if we can bring CDFA or Cal EPA forward as someone that can, you know, validate what we're saying, that really moves us forward. And that gives us the credibility to make those claims and make that stand that not only are we as an industry, you know, addressing environmental issues, but we're doing it in a responsible way. And how we're doing it is going to get the state to where it wants to be so that California can be the global leader in climate change and, you know, countering that and, and promoting sustainability. Awesome thoughts. I love the ag's problem is ag. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, we've got all the tools. We just need to learn how to say it more effectively. Um, I will ask uh, the same question of Jennifer Beretta, another member of the Cattle Council and um, a very vocal uh, female-led dairy farmer in the Sonoma region. How you doing, Jen? Good. How are you? I'm pumped to hear your voice. <laughs> I, I read a lot about you in the paper, so you know. <laughs> Thanks. I, I um, feel I feel like we're privileged to have you joining us today. Thank you very much, and it was really great your guys's work that you did, and um, I'm very excited that I sit on the cattle council because one of the things that I think. Um, and Cody definitely said it is ag is its own problem. You know, I feel like sometimes with even in the dairy industry, we're so divided, whether you're conventional, organic, grass fed, not. And this study really showed that they just want to know the right information. And it got Western United, California Cattle Council and California Cattlemen's all on the same page. And that should show you right there that we're all three groups that want the same um, same end game. So I think this study was great. I also think as, you know, Western United and California Cattlemen's Association goes out and fights for our industries is we have got to, you know, hit that budget when the governor comes out without our UC funding, 
um, you know, we don't have those tools that help us. I'll give an example. If it wasn't for my UC Dairy Advisor, we would not have been funded our AMP money because of how the paperwork is. Um, without my UC Advisor, I wouldn't have gotten our Healthy Soils Project money. So those are extremely important tools for us to um, utilize if California wants these big climate goals for us. So I really task, um, you know, West United and California Cattle Council, Cattlemen's like Tyler said, to hit the ground running and go do it now. Don't don't wait on this. Very well said. Thank you. And, thank and that you means all of you guys are volunteering, right? For That's sure. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's our biggest lift. <laughs> are there any other questions from our fantastic membership audience, which I really uh, appreciate you joining us today on? All right, well, hearing none, uh, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. Thank you to Justin Oldfield for giving us um, essentially the, the tools to do this fantastic messaging campaign. Um, Jason, your hard work is should never be overlooked. Thank you so much. And again, thank you to the volunteers and the Cattle Council. Our dairy farmer representatives are working very hard to, to make sure that checkoff money does something unique different and is not duplicating efforts that other groups or other checkoffs are doing. And I think this is a beautiful example of why these partnerships and why the Cattle Council was formed to, do, to be so different and to separate itself. So if you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out and I will look forward to chatting with you soon. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. This is Rochelle from Western United Dairies. Lecheros Unidos de California is here to help you find, search for new employees, and provide assistance advertising open positions on our social media and employee outreach channels. Remember, it's free for one members. Please don't hesitate to contact me, Rochelle, at the office at 209-527-6453 or via email at rashelllwudairies.com. Thank you. Okay, Darby. Well, I think that was a pretty good episode for a repeat. Um, again, we just want to encourage anyone with questions about the research work that the Cattle Council did in partnership with WUD and uh, CCA, please reach out. We think it's really exciting stuff, and I'm really excited to see our policy shifts as far as the Sacramento work we do going forward. Um, and speaking of exciting stuff, we've started the rollout for WERS in the last couple of weeks, and that's WUD's new human resources program. And now Melissa and I have both gotten to be on farm for some initial visits, which in itself is exciting enough. Um, and it's, it's going really well. I'm really looking forward to seeing how much this program can help dairies come into compliance in California moving forward. 
Yeah, I um, attended one with Tony this week, Darby, and, and you were able to attend with Tony and Caesar, our partner at Romando and Associates last week. And I was just really impressed with um, the base of knowledge that they bring. We knew Tony and his staff have a great knowledge of ag and dairy labor law, but it was just a really impressive format that they've laid out. And they ask awesome questions that really get dairy producers thinking about how they're handling their human resources aspect of their farm. Yeah, and they really want to look at the whole scope of the operation. I think that really struck me in the initial meeting. They want to see what the producer is doing and how they can really, with the least amount of heavy changes, adjust that to be into compliance. And they really want to take into account every single dairy operation and all of their intricacies. Yeah, it was it was really cool to kind of be there for that. We're helping to facilitate the pilot program and Going forward, Tony's office, they'll be doing the bulk of the lifting, but Western will be sort of your interface for that. So if folks are interested in that service, um, it does cost money, obviously, but we would say, I would say, consider it more like an insurance policy for your dairy. When you break it down by month, um, the amount of money you could save in the long run, preventing lawsuits and different actions against your dairy is really really worth it. Um, and I will say one of the aspects of the program I really appreciate Darby is the fact that it's not only a program for the employers, but the employees. And so they'll have access to a hotline where they can contact Caesar or someone at Tony's office if they have questions or concerns about how things are being handled on the farm. And that better helps those guys, you know, clear up any issues that may be occurring or anything that's being done that isn't quite up to snuff. Yeah, and they're really looking, like you said, to open those lines of communication between the employees and the employer and kind of facilitate that. And they want to have an understanding from both, if you want to use the word size of the table and really be able to facilitate, you know, just good conversations and understanding and so that everybody can work efficiently and, and be happy really moving forward. So if you have any questions about words or are interested, you can give Melissa or I or the office a call and um, shoot us an email. Okay, Darby. Well, I think that wraps us for the week. Um, we want to give a huge thanks to Tiffany and Rochelle for their participation in today's podcast. And once again, to the Cattle Council team and WUD board members who joined for our February 4th webinar, which we re-ran today. That's Justin Oldfield, Jason Bryant, Anya Radabaugh, Jen Beretta, Frank Mendonca, Cody Nicholson-Stratton, and Tyler Ribeiro. So thanks to everyone who made today's episode possible and thanks to all of our listeners and members. Yep, and remember to reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests. Our podcast email is wud.pod at gmail.com. And then as always, Melissa can be reached at M-L-E-M-A at WUDairies.com and I'm D-A-R-B-Y at WUDairies.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform and have a great week. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, Please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. 
We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. Thank you.